Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we're so grateful we can come here this morning. We're so grateful, oh God, that among the talks of people that are in person and those that are watching, we could come, O oh God, and just concentrate on you. To thank you for who you are and for all that you have been for us and to us. The many manifold blessings granted to us because of Yeshua, Mashiach, our Lord, our Savior. And for all that you represent, your greatness, your goodness, your attributes, mercy and grace and for everything oh god you are the almighty god the unchanging god the everlasting father and we thank you for salvation through jesus for the healing and grace manifested to thee through our lord jesus for the prayers answered through our lord jesus and as we gather, oh God, we want to take this time to honor you and to praise you and to worship you. And I pray that your hand would be stretched out to meet every need according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. Your riches and glory. And I pray God touch lives today, spirit, soul, body in every aspect. Meet every need according to your riches, oh Lord God, and touch lives particularly who are going through a very trying, difficult time. Holy Spirit, I pray your grace would be there and the name of Jesus, our Lord, would be manifested and glorified. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap offering. He's worthy to be praised. This morning, I just want to touch on something. I wanted to talk and continue, but I will do it, God willing, another time to do with particularly with the uh, the preciousness, uh, treasures, and not so much from Isaiah 45, verse 3, but the treasures that would be very important in the field and the pearl of great price. But I've been feeling that uh, heavy, uh, what I would call the, uh, the inclination on this precious topic, and I want to cover this and move to what God has put into my heart as well. But the topic today is what John saw, the revelation. And I want you to know, many people have written about heaven and talked about the greatness of them, the gold-paved street and the pearly gates. But if you were to walk right into heaven, the first thing you notice, besides all the glitter and glory of everything there is, the centerpiece is the throne. And not so much the throne, because we talk about the cross. And the cross... And the essence of the cross would be lost without the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, hung on the cross for you and for me. It would lose all its significance if the crucified one was not there. It just becomes a symbol, a vain tradition. A throne is simply a throne, but suddenly it becomes so important when we realize the one that is seated on the throne. I want to take from this passage from John's Gospel, chapter 4, and verse 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit, 
And behold, a throne was set in heaven. Look, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. What I want you to understand is that one can never be described. When you read this passage, the only way you can describe that one that is seated on the throne is by the sparkling, radiant brightness of the color. In all form and shape, the best you could do is to bring about the best of the rubies and emerald and sapphires and so forth. And this is but nothing but a poor reflection of a way to describe the one who can never be described, can never be imagined, can ever, never be comprehended, except the one that is at the bosom of the heart of the one that sits on the throne. Now I want to talk about him because in the end, as we mature in the Lord, as we grow in the Lord, and particularly both in spiritual and chronological, there's something that comes to our grip and our attention. All of the glitter and glory has lost its value, but then the one that sits on the throne, and what is so important, that he is in authority, that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he is totally and absolute. He is the one, he is the only one that holds the total reign in his hand. The galaxy that we know of far beyond, whether it be the black hole or whether it be the Milky Ways or far beyond the, the many, many galaxies we can't even imagine, they're all under the sway and command of the Almighty God that we call him Father through Jesus Christ. He is total, absolute in control. However, there's something that we need to understand that there is one little place in the entire universe that he, for some reason or the other, but I could best explain for our purpose, for our training, for basically being a boot camp before we go to heaven, and that place where Satan has been thrown into is earth. He's lost his power, and yet he can be a pest. He can be dangerous. In fact, he is the God of this world, so to speak, because of what took place, the abdication of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And though he's lost the battle with the Lord Jesus, and yet he is here on earth, and need to realize he's not absolute, he's mighty, but God is almighty. But the reason he is here and in control only because of one thing, that if we go to heaven, we need to realize there must have been some challenge for us to earn the reward, to us earn the crown, to have earned what would be in terms of accolades when the roll call is called. Based on what? Our salvation is not on our merit, but purely by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and on the cross of Calvary. But everything that we do and all the gifts and all the prize and all the crown would only be because of how we were obedient and how we reacted to all of the challenges we faced by this enemy 
calling himself the prince of darkness and the God, not capital, of this world. And yet he needs permission. For he couldn't touch Job until he had asked the permission. And yet God gave, and of course, we understand why, because we've seen the end of Job before he could. But if we were to look at it at the end of the tale, at the end of the story, the last final chapters, we say, aha, would it be worth going to heaven not realizing that all of this is because of the centrality of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ at the epic center? And we become more aware of how valuable our salvation is because of the precious blood of Jesus. Thank God for Abba, his love in sending Yeshua, Messiah, our Lord, our Savior. But I want to just go into this passage and read a little passage before we go into this, what I call the throne series. But let me just say from chapter 4, I'll read a couple of verses in verse 2, but go towards the end of this chapter and the end of chapter 5 to give us an idea. After this, I looked and behold, chapter 4 and verse 1, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking to me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne that was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. Can't be described. The best you could do is to talk about what would be the sapphires and the emerald and the jasper to give you that various, and if there's anything I could describe it, is color. Whether it be translucent, opaque, or transparent, or clear white, sparkling more than a diamond, the brilliance of the shine of the white, the green, the red, and in such kaleidoscope colors, far greater than the vibro, the rainbow, and yet the rainbow is mentioned because we come into play with Genesis chapter 9, verse 13, the covenant that God made with the first generation. There was a rainbow roundabout. In other words, an array of color around the throne. Brilliance of colors. It stands out. All of this around the throne. And one that sat on it. And yet, no words can describe. It's just not possible to describe the one that sits upon the throne. You can never describe. You know, you read so many books about heaven. And you hear people talking about what they saw. And all of this. But my friend, you miss out the greatest of all right in the epic center, right there in the centric of the entire universe is the throne of God. 
He is absolute. He is sovereign. He is in control. And the Bible goes on to say, round about. So there's a sense in which everything is round about. And so is the universe. And so is the galaxy. And so is everything we have not yet seen. Can never perceive. It's round about, round about, round about the throne. And yet in proximity to the throne, and this is not like a little sanctuary or a massive sanctuary you can imagine. Heaven is far bigger, huge. It says here what 24 seats, and upon the seats I saw 24 elders clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads crowns of gold. And they come to that place in the worship, they cast themselves down and their thrones and their crowns down. This morning I'm talking about not heaven that we find defined in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. And I saw new heaven and new earth, that is a different subject altogether. Nor am I talking about Hebrews chapter 9, 27, after that the judgment. That is another subject. Nor am I going to talk about Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12, about the white throne judgment that we have to stand before God the Almighty. Nor am I going to talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 before the bema of the judgment seat of Christ to figure out our rewards based on what we did on this earth. Or in what Revelation, uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 11 and verse 12 talks about that we must appear before to be judged. And that's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 5 all the way to 10 and onward. Talking about the various reward and things like wood, hay and stable will be burned, but then the ones that will not be in terms of spiritual like gold and silver and all the precious metal will stand the test of the flame. We're not even talking about what is so important in terms of all of this. But I want to just say this, what we will be talking about is the one that is indescribable. The one that can never be comprehended. The one only, the one that is the heart of the Father could reveal. Even Jesus Christ, for no man had seen God at any time. The best that people can do is to come to some recognition and yet not fully. Moses said, show me your glory. This was the yearning cry of Moses and David. And yet they never saw the glory of God in the fullest sense. You can't, you'll die. We're finite, we cannot face infinity or the infinite. But what you find is such a marvelous way in the book of Exodus, chapter 33 and verse 23, Moses does see just the hinder, the backside, but his face you could not see. God is a spirit. You're going to find the best that you could find is when Micaiah the prophet was asked by King Jehoshaphat where they could find water. He does reply. 
He doesn't care for Ahab that was with him. And yet he says something so remarkable. In 2 Chronicles chapter 18 and verse 18. And look at the way he says. Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne. And all the host of heaven standing on his right hand. And on his left. It's majestic. It is absolute, total control. God is seated on his throne. We can talk about many thrones in the world, whether it be the throne of Caesar, of Nero, of Damation, or whether it be of Pilate or even of Herod. It's just rotten up. Or the world around in which we live, sitting in that little Chairs calling themselves throne and being like dictators. God is in control. When this letter was written, John the, Atmo, Jan the Beloved was thrown into Patmos. It was hard, it was difficult. He had gone through a burning oil basically burning oil that literally charred his body. And then because he didn't die, they banished him into a no-man's land called Patmos. You often wonder why this is that God does not answer. And he's the last of the apostle. All the others have been killed. I want you to know there was no five-star luxury for them. They didn't run around in an airplane or big and live in big mansion. They were not prosperous. If anything, all of them were killed except John. But for him to live with such excruciating pain and then banished into an island, a prisoner, with just hardly anything to eat, in the midst of it, God opened his spirit and the Holy Spirit revealed something fundamental. God spoke to him and said, come up hither. And suddenly, in the spirit, he saw the door opened and he saw the throne. Throne greater than either Nero, now the next successor, Domitian. Greater than any empire or emperors. That was the ultimate throne. And he realized and recognized, it doesn't matter what I go through, God is still on the throne. This is what you find in the Old Testament. The great patriarchs and the saints of the Old Testament. We realize in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 18, these three Hebrew boys were thrown into the lake of fire or thrown into that fire because they refused to bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, they didn't know what would take place. They didn't know how things would pan out, but they were prepared. They said, we want you to know, bluntly, they're putting in words, we're not going to bow down to your idol. And the reason they knew is Nebuchadnezzar, you may be a king of a small place that will be done and finished with, and this throne that you sit on will be torturing, falling apart. 
But God is on the throne, and He is the true Lord, God, and His throne lasts forever. Fast forward to New Testament, and you find Paul, a mighty man of God, did great miracles, wonders, signs, holed up in Philippine prison, and then later on, moved to Rome while in the process of preaching, and when you turn to Romans chapter 28 and verse 16, put into the prison there, Mamertine prison, a formidable fortress, a hard place to live. And yet he realized one thing, it was not Caesar. This had been the rule of the Caesars, that they were God, they were emperors, they were the sun, they were the moon, they were the stars. It didn't matter what the subjects believed in, as long as they recognized that the emperor was the supreme God. And that basically was a hard task for the, for the Christians. Not task, really. It was easy because they said, no, we cannot do that. There's only one God, one Lord, one Savior. And it is at that time Paul put into prison, and yet Paul knew one thing assuredly. It is not Nero or Domitian, but it is the Lord God on the throne, and he is for eternity, and he is eternal. So you can understand this writing in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I have kept my faith. That is because he recognized one day he would have to stand before God, and he's not going to be ashamed of the Lord God. Long after Roman Empire would be decimated and there would be no more thrones, the throne of God will be forever. Every other throne will be falling apart like the throne of a joker. But God's throne abides forever and forever. So here in AD 95, in prison, Suddenly, John the Beloved was taken to heaven. And his eyes were opened. Immediately, verse 2, chapter 4 of Revelation says, I was in the Spirit, and I looked. Behold, a throne was set in heaven. Later on, you'll find it's the epicenter. Everything's, this is the centric of everything else. And one that sat on the throne. That is God's throne. When you think about it, again and again we realize the amazing aspect of the power of this throne. And the one that sits on it. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, this man was going through a very difficult time. He had lost his uncle. And so he says in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. No description, except to say the angels are acclaiming, holy, holy, holy. God doesn't stand up to fight. God doesn't stand up to say who he is. There are the angels saying who he is. But he's seated on the throne, high, lifted up, Mighty, sovereign, God, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, to whom be glory and honor and praise and majesty forever and forever.
What you find is, as we read the book of Revelation chapter 4, you find stones that are opaque, stones, precious stones that are translucent, precious stones that are transparent, all in the brightness and prisms and kaleidoscopic colors just to describe God. John is lost for words like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah. Let's take Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 1, you find the way in which he recognizes and describes this mighty God. Chapter 1 and verse 26. Listen to what he says. And about the firmament there was over their heads was the likeness of a throne. Likeness of a throne. As the appearance of sapphire stone. Upon the likeness of a throne was the likeness as the appearance of man upon it. Appearance like, like, like. What does John say? John goes on to say in chapter 4 and in verse 3. And he that sat was to look upon like. There's no description except the best I could say, he says, is like a jasper. It's the color. It's the brightness. It's a sparkling beauty. Sardine stone. There was a rainbow. The colorful rainbow. Round about the throne. Round about the throne. I'll tell you about round about and nimits and before and out of the throne. Sight like an emerald. What a wonderful way to describe. So Ezekiel goes on still to say in Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse 1, after describing in chapter 126, he says in 10, I looked and behold the firmament that was the head of the cherubims. There appeared over them as it were the sapphire stone as the appearance of the likeness of a throne likeness. You can't describe way beyond the imagination and the comprehension of anyone. Only the one that comes in the bosom and who's seated with the, with the Father can explain that. And so you find in a marvelous way he's talking about it. Daniel is almost like John. His description of the future and things of heaven will almost be similar like John the Beloved, not in such a way that John does, but look what he describes about the casting down of all the other throne and the one that is called the Ancient of Days sitting upon his throne. You can find that in Daniel chapter 7 and uh, verse 9. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancients of day did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool, and his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Jeremiah talks about it. Ezekiel talks about the burning wheels. A description, and yet you cannot define the indefinable God. Far beyond words, far beyond imaginations, far beyond comprehension, far beyond ideas, metaphors, or anything. One that sat on the throne. That's the best description we could have. When you look at what Paul is saying, 
He says, I know a man who 14 years ago went up, whether in the flesh I do not know. But then let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. He says he was caught up in the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. What I heard is just too much for you to grasp. It's just too much for you to comprehend. It would blow your fuse. It's too heavy. The subject of the sovereign almighty God is heavy. He says, I cannot describe. It is not lawful. Elsewhere, he says in Corinthians, I had not seen, nor hears heard. The things that God has prepared for us will just way beyond description. Way beyond anything you can imagine, comprehend. You can imagine a vacation. But this is pure out of fantasy. It's beyond anything you could even describe or feel or think or imagine. And so you find the book of Ephesians talks about heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, listen to what Paul is saying about Christians. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is, we are on earth while we have a fellowship with the Father in a rather translucent way. But one day we shall see him face to face. Our eyes will behold him. How could it be? Job talks about it. Though when my dust and everything is cleared the flesh, and yet with my eyes, not the natural, I will see him and behold him. Yet my own eyes, he says. And one day we shall see him when we shall stand before him. I want to tell you something very important. He is the mightiest force in all the world. He's the greatest of every. From him, in him comes life and the issues of life. And I want to know he cannot be seen. And yet the one that comes from him describes him. And he gives us understanding. But what we need to recognize is because of what Jesus did, without taking away any of the attributes of the Almighty, without taking away His holiness, without taking away His infinite glory, without taking away His righteousness, His mercy, His grace, and all of that, and He is judge, and there's justice with Him, and equality, all of that, and angels are falling left, right, and forward, bowing down to His name, and the very moment the angels cry, holy, the 24 and 4 elders fall down, casting their crown. Incessantly, always, there's no night nor day, but we could use it in human terms, night or day. But there is no night nor day in eternity. In other words, moment by moment, if they would count the moments, there's timeless eternity is so total that time is swallowed up in eternity. And yet, it's an insistent praise. In the midst of all of this, 
I need to say it towards the end, but I just want to say it right now and come back to it. That he's so holy, he's so magnificent. He's on the throne. He's high and lifted up. And because of Jesus Christ's blood and the Spirit of God anointing you, and because the Spirit in you cries out, Almighty! Adonai! No, you come to him without losing any of that and say, Papa, Abba, Father, and come close to him like you have never done to your Father in heaven. Such intimacy. And my reason for saying this is don't be out of touch. Get to know him. Get to love him. Get to be intimate with him. So when you go to heaven, you're going running to the Papa's lap and say, thank you, Daddy. Angels are falling down. You are embracing the Almighty. Now let me just say this, my friends. What is so remarkable, what's so important is when you turn to John chapter 4 and verse 2 again, immediately I was in the Spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one, one that was, that sat on the throne. What you're going to find in this throne just in the book of Revelation in that last book you find the word throne 45 times and take away the book of Revelation in the New Testament you have mentioned 18 times just in Revelation 45 times but when you look into just chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, it is mentioned 18 times again. Just look into chapter 4 in verse 1 to verse 6, six verses, eight times the throne is mentioned. Why is the throne mentioned so much in the last book? The last testament, the last book of the New Testament gives you an understanding of the journey you take and your ultimate destination. If you're going for a cruise, you're looking at everything else, but if you missed out what you went for, all of that would be a waste of time. Heaven is about the throne. You have so much that would take years and years and years and years. And, and by the way, stop counting years. There's no more years. It's eternity. And yet the throne is the focal, is the centrality, is the pivotal point of everything in the universe. Yea, in the entire universe. And when everything is swallowed up in total eternity, the throne of God and the one that sits is still the centric of everything there is of the world that we see and of the world we do not see and the world that is and the world that is to come, the throne of God and the one that sits is the center, the center focus of everything. So let me just say this amazing thing. If I were to look into this, 
look at like sparks that comes out of the throne. If I were to read verse 4, round about the throne, round and round and round and round and takes for eternity to all the galaxy and everything in the starry wonders. Round and round, round where? The centric is the throne and the one that sits on it. There is no human, there is no superhuman, there's no alien or super alien like the one that sits upon the throne. He is the center of the entire universe. He's the light that lights up the galaxy, that lights up the sun, that gives light to the moon, but the light comes from him. He is from him comes life. That life lightens not only the vegetation, but the entire universe and every one of us as well. That is the epic center that we receive the source from. So it says in verse 6, round, verse 5, round about the throne proceeds. Verse 6, before the throne. So not only round about the throne, but before the throne. And round the, and it says in verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass, and then it says, in the midst of it. So everything is centered around the throne. Before it, in it, out of it, and in the midst of it, everything proceeds from that throne. I want to just go back to chapter 4 and verse 1. It says here, after this, and I looked, behold, the door was opened, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet, I'll come to that in a moment, talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show you things to come. Come up hither. That is the greatest invitation that a man could ever hear. You get invitations from the White House, you can get invitation to the UN, you can get, it's nothing but the dumbs compared to the greatest. What have you done with the invitation? Come up hither. What forbids you? Sin. And yet the price has been paid by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Yeah, you could know God with all his eternal values and attributes and characteristics, and yet you can miss heaven. You need to know him intimately. You need to know him personally. You need to relate to him and know him as your father. That cannot be done except by Jesus Christ. And so come up hither. That is the greatest invitation to the father. And I have to say what I've said on Father's Day. Many may have had bad fathers. Don't ever let that be a poor reflection of that one true perfect father. Even if you had the best of fathers, I've had an opportunity. And yet it is nothing compared to the one father to whom all praise is due. Come up hither, 
Now, I want you to understand, I know there is in the religion called Seventh Heaven, and there's a movie called Seventh Heaven. Actually, in the New Testament, you have shortened, to make it brief, three heavens. One is the air, and of course, there is this usurper called Satan who thinks he claims it and he wants it because man gave that dominion to him, and everything that man had came to his hand, and you find the animal kingdom, the vegetal kingdom, every, uh, everything is corrupted. But the day will come, there will be total emancipation when man is totally redeemed, and the sons of man are manifested. Romans chapter 8, you can read it. And then there's a sense in which the whole earth is groaning, and when that emancipation comes, it'll be pristine like it was. Until then, sin reigns because man is still sinful. But I want you to understand something very remarkable. While there is this usurper who's in this earth, and God has left him for this purpose, that no matter what goes through, what you go through, always remember, it's worth it all, knowing God is in control. Yes, you'll be afflicted. And yet Paul says, light affliction compared to the weight of glory is soon gone. You say 100 years, 100 years is not even a millisecond when you're in heaven. You can't measure. It's just like it and gone. I had a hard time looking at James, martyred, and Stephen stoned to death, and God is in his throne. And I said, God, what's happening? God says, they're with me. They're enjoying bliss for eternity. Just like that. How many years do you think you can live with your yacht, your luxury, your money? You will be down in hell. And I want you to understand this. Luke chapter 16 talks about the spasm. There is no way you could enter from one end to the other. That opportunity has gone. It's no reincarnation, reincarnation mantra. One life and what you do in this life, what matters? You can make your money, you can get your degrees, you can get all you want, but if you didn't make the greatest decision and thought about eternity, with all that you have, with all the fame you have, with all the accolades you have on this earth, it's over. And you can blame no one except yourself. What did you do with Jesus? Come up hither. And the first heir is the God of this earth. Or the prince of darkness. But you say, I don't understand. Well, man should have been the king and vice regent under God. Satan is today. One day he'll be defeated. But until then, I want to recognize this. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we say, Your kingdom come, your will be done, and so forth. For those is the kingdom, the power, the glory for and ever. But somewhere in peace, did you notice, deliver us from evil? Because we're still on earth. Keep us from temptation because we're still on earth. Only God. And we need to pray that for our family, for our children, because there's nothing that you can take for granted on this earth. A young man can go and do exercise and just collapse. A man can go to office and just collapse. Always be ready when you get a call. Come up here. 
To be absent in the body. Zoom is to be present with the Lord. That's the fastest trip you can take to heaven. Zoom, zoom, zoom. One second you are here, maybe a heart attack, maybe an accident, maybe in the hospital. Zoom, you are there. And you're looking at your body and says, wow, I've just entered eternity. Forever and forever. Nothing compares to that. And you are before the throne room of one that angels bow down. And you say, Papa, Dada, thank you for Jesus. So the second air is what you call the planetary system. Psalm 19 verse 1, it tells us the manifold blessing, the heavens declare the glory, and so you have to the second heaven. The third heaven is what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. When he says, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, I cannot tell whether body, I cannot tell, but God's notes, such a man was caught up in the third heaven. And that is what Paul experienced up in the presence of God. I want to realize he is way above the space. I remember the first uh, cosmonaut went, and uh, of course there was communist, and he basically said, I'm there in, in the center of the, earth, of the heaven, and I don't see God. Oh, he could just take a step out and he'll see God right away. <laughs> he hasn't even pierced the third heaven, it's way beyond. And in that sphere, heaven is so huge, and it's so marvelous. And yet the centerpiece is God who sits on the throne and to whom all praise belongs. Come up hither. Chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 1. How can you go up to heaven? Yeah, you can do it mentally psychically, physically, doing some mantra or saying some magic word. These are all imaginations of your mind. You cannot do it by body, you cannot do it by your soul, by intellect, by emotions, even by your psychic. And there is a power of the soul, there's the latent power of the soul, but it cannot pierce eternity. Then how did this man go to heaven? In verse 2, immediately Immediately, I was in the spirit. That is how you go. And all things of God can only be, the, even the deep things can be known by the spirit. He's the one who opens your understanding of eternal God, of the throne and of heaven and the things of God. Only the Holy Spirit can. In fact, John 4, 24, God is a spirit. Sometimes we are so used to religion that we want colors, red colors. We will never go to church unless we hear the church bell ring. And in the Pentecostal circle, even if there are two people, they're shouting like crazy. There's only two people. It's not colors about them, it's a sound. They got a drum, they beat the crap out of you. Oh, God is here, ho, 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 ho. My friend, that is not how you feel God. You have to sense him in the spirit. 
They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, the old Indian way of snake charmers, they do the flute and they do all those crazy stuff. The snakes don't hear a piece. So what is he doing? Getting your attention to get your money. And the same charlatans do the same thing. They jump from pulpit, they scream from pulpit, they do a whole lot of theatrics in the pulpit. And you say, oh, the Holy Spirit there. It's your emotion that is moving. God is a spirit. You need to sense him. I need to be moved by the preacher to give praise, to give money. My friend, you have to be moved in your spirit. Otherwise, you've just been manipulated. People always manipulate to get your money, and you must be moved by the spirit. God is a spirit. And I want you to understand, immediately John says, I was in the spirit. And look, the moment I was in the spirit, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. Ezekiel talks about it in chapter 8 and verse 3. He's a marvelous way, he says, and he put forth the form of a hand and took me by the lock of mine head, and the Holy Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate. The Holy Spirit lifted him up. The same Ezekiel talks about in Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 1, I was in the Spirit, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me in the Spirit and set me in the midst of a valley which was full of dry bones. It is the Holy Spirit. You could do it taking a plane. You could do it in your mental, in your imagination. But when it comes to the things of God, it is the Holy Spirit that opens the deep things of God, nothing else. Have you heard people say, ah, I've seen, I've seen, they see nothing, just emotion. You could sit in the subway and everything is moving and everything is a noisy, and suddenly you get a revelation. Not because someone played some music, not because a preacher preached, because the Holy Spirit opened your understanding. Just like that. You don't have to shake, you don't have to move. It's just like that. God is a spirit. What I find is when you go back to verse 1, Look what it says here. After this, I looked, and behold, the door was opened. After this, and then towards the end, which must be hereafter. Let me just take one called after this, past, hereafter, future. If you didn't get it, towards the end, uh, towards the beginning of verse 1, after this I looked and behold, after what took place that was past, I looked. And then he hears the word, come and I will show you things which must be hereafter. This is not the past, this is the future. Pause for a moment. When you think about after this, after what? Because you find in chapter 2 and 3, the Lord Jesus is speaking to John, and he's speaking about the seven churches. He compliments them, and he corrects them. 
The churches beginning in Ephesus, Sardis, and Pergamos, and Thyatria, all the way going to Philadelphia and Laodicea. They all had problems except Philadelphia. The last church was Laodicea. And that is simply the period in which we live. Churches have a show. Church is all about money. Church is all about fame. And then that is how it closes with the Laodicean church. We are in the Laodicean period. Everything is fluffy. Even the faith healers are fluffy. Everybody talks about his fluffy. It's all about when they don't realize they are not on the throne. God is on the throne. They talk all about money, they talk all about prosperity, they talk all about who they are, but they forgot to talk about the one who is on the throne. And Jesus, our Lord, has brought us to the Father so intimate. After this, after what? After chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and then closing with Laodicean, the Lord is saying, Behold, I stand at the door, and knock. Do you hear my words? My father and I will come and sup with you. That's how it closes in chapter 3 and verse 21. Then in chapter 4 and verse, after this, what you find in chapter 2 and chapter 3, you have several times, 19 times, the word church or ecclesia is mentioned. From chapter 4, all the way to 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, to 22, there's no mention of the church. Saints are mentioned. Church is not. Where is the church? The church is in eternity. I was caught up. Pre-trib, pre-trib would always say that simply means caught up, parusa, rapture. They are with the Lord. From chapter 4, it's all of the things that takes place and the church is missing. Whether we believe the church goes through tribulation or does not go through tribulation, the most important thing is we'll be with the Lord. Whether you believe pro-trib or pre-trib, please know everyone believes who are born again that's coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second of the Lord, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is as real as the first coming of the Lord Jesus. How you term it and how you bring about the theology, that's different. But listen to what it says. After this, after the Laodicean period, suddenly, and we need to be careful, the Lord is knocking on our doors. Don't get so involved in churchology and prosperity and it's all about me and it's all about, come on, tell me how good I am. Almost all churches talk about how to be better, how to be richer, how to be greater, but they don't talk about God. And people flock to hear that. Give it to me, give it to me, I need more. Oh, I had church. What did the pastor, how wonderful I am. Did he talk to you about God? I don't know about that. But I just enjoyed it. What did you do? We danced. What a good time. You must understand. I had this goose pimple. I don't understand. You, I had church. But did you get closer to God? I don't know. And that is how churches are fluffy, big. What I can get, but it's not what God can get. Every time we come, there must be theology. Theology means not humanology but about God and knowledge of God. Otherwise, you've not been to church. 
I believe in healing. I believe in prophecy. I believe in man being catered to and healed. But in the end, it's all about God. If we didn't get more knowledge about God, we're poorer than when we have begun, when we were born again. And then chapter 4 and verse 1, after this, and then he says, I will show you things which must be your after. And that is the future. There's a term that theologians use, and this term is not in the Bible, and yet this term simply means the same thing, end times, or eschatology. Eschatology is year after. Now people say, it's right now. No, 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 no. There are still signs in heaven, signs on earth. All of these things must come to pass. But we are in the very twilight of what is going to take place. But Jesus, our Lord, is telling, I will tell you what must take place. There are a lot of things that must take place culminating, and this is a sign. In the second coming of Jesus, that is what we need to prepare. The greatest news that you would ever hear, and you should not miss it, is the second coming of Jesus. And I want you to know, all of this tells us what the end of the times will be. God is stretching it out because he is long-suffering, giving grace, lest peradventure someone is still open to receive him. But then in us is enough, it's the end. And then comes what would be a very strong sound. Let's go to verse 1. And behold, a door was opened, and the first voice heard was a trumpet. A door was opened. A door opened simply means a passage from one place to another. A passage from one place to another. I'll tell you where there is no passage. There's no passage from hell to heaven. Heaven is real. And as real as heaven, it's very unpopular to say so, hell is as real as heaven. And if you do not know your way to eternity and know God, there's one place. I want you to know in Luke chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ gave a parable. It's more than a parable because he gives you the name of this man Lazarus, sick, lying at the doorstep of a rich man who fed sumptuously. And yet when he died, he was carried up to heaven or Abraham's bosom. And then there was the rich man died the same day and he was in hell. And then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, because Abraham seems to be the connection for the ancient people, if I could get water. Abraham said, this gap, chasten, has no connection. There's no incarnation where you can be a monkey, you can be a dog, and then be a man and given a chance again. One life and that's it. What you do today will determine eternity. So here is a door, and this is a door while you still have bread, while you still have life in you. And listen, chapter 1, chapter 4 and verse 1, behold a door, just like behold. 
In verse 2, a throne, behold, even before the throne, a door. Verse 1, behold, a door was opened in heaven. And bluntly, I can tell you what the door is. There's no other way. John chapter 10, verse 7. John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. I am Yahweh, the door. No other door. And I want you to know this is the door. A door was opened. Paul goes on to say, an effective door is opened unto me. Revelation talks about a door that is open, but this is the door. And as you turn to chapter 4 and verse 1, a door was opened in heaven. And this is interesting when you think about the door. Genesis 8 talks to you about the flood, impending flood, and Noah's ark, and they came through the door. And then in chapter 9 and verse 18, the door was opened by God and they walked out. There's a door in every aspect if you go to worship the Lord and as you come out. A door where sheep know and they come back and the sheep know the shepherd, the door. And yet I want you to understand when you turn to chapter 4 and verse 1, there's another passage that I want to bring to your attention. He says, I like doors open and the first voice I heard, the voice was the sound or the, the voice of the trumpet. Interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 4 talks about if the trumpet has lost its sound, what good it would be. But these words of trumpets are very meaningful all the way back in Leviticus 23 and verse 24. The trumpet of Sabbath, the trumpet of the festivity, the trumpet of Jubilee, it was heard. It meant so much. And they realized the trumpet has sounded. Let us pack up. The trumpet has sounded. There is war. The trumpet has sounded. Let us stay and worship the Lord. The trumpet was the voice. In fact, when you turn to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, listen to how it begins. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. The voice and the sound of trumpet is very important. When you turn to Joel chapter 2 and verse 1, sound the trumpet, blow the trumpet and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. It says, blow the trumpet, sound the alarm. In Hosea chapter 8 and verse, uh, verse, chapter 5 and verse 8, listen to what it says. Blow ye the cornet in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at Bethaven after you, O Benjamin. What is this leading to? For us in the New Testament, the trumpet is none other than one thing. The coming of the Lord Jesus draweth near. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52. Look what Paul is saying. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The dead will be raised then we which are alive shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we shall forever be with the Lord forever and forever. I heard the sound 
of trumpet. But before we will hear the sound of the hoofbeats of those four horses, we're seeing that. It is starvation. It is famine, pestilence. We are seeing that. We have heard the sound. We are so scared. We should not be scared of the hoofbeats of those four horse and horsemen. Keep your ears open to the trump. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound. We shall be changed in a moment, in a second, in a twinkling of an eyes. And this corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal shall put on immortality. And then we shall be forever with the Lord. I've hardly scratched my message on the throne of God. I've hardly scratched the message on the one that sits on it. God willing, next Sunday, I'll try and figure out through the words and through the passages the very many picturesque way of a description of someone you cannot describe. Like the sparkling of a stone, the blindness of light, the arrays of kaleidoscopic colors, and all this in a human way that cannot describe. That even Paul said, I have seen years ever, but can never be lawful to explain. John is telling us in a human words, the array of colors that signify the one that cannot be fathomed, the one that cannot be imagined, the one that cannot be comprehended. I can't explain. No one can explain God. But I can tell you this, I know him. I know him as Abba, Father, through Jesus. I love him, even though mine eyes have not seen him, because of Jesus. I value the throne. I have not seen the throne because of Jesus. Even though the throne is so far, I'm in the midst in a world of so many puny Little thrones, I still feel the significance of that one throne because of the Lord Jesus. And he tells you, come hither. Come up hither. You never know when your life comes to an end. If not today, tomorrow. But heed to my words is either come or go away, get thee behind me. While it is still called day, the words are come, don't delay. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. Amen. I cannot explain this, a father that cannot be explained. And yet Jesus is giving an example in chapter 15 of Luke. A father so regale, a father so elite, a father who is so amazing. And yet when the prodigal son comes home, 
the father leaves everything and runs. In the Middle East, you're wearing this long garb. He is running, running. This is God who cannot be explained. Running to embrace you. Cover you with ropes of his righteousness. And put the rings of authority. And put the shoes of peace. My friend, may I introduce to the father from whom all life comes from. And from all good things come from. Know him, love him, praise him in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.